today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Let me ask you another question. Is it just head knowledge? Is it just an intellectual consent to it, a mental understanding? Do you only agree with it and yet it's not really changed your life in any kind of a substantial way? Because you see, when you and I are called as believers, we say that we are born again by the power of Christ. That means that it's changed our life. That means that our our lives have had a dynamic impact within our lives. All the wise men in the world cannot comprehend the mind and plan of God. Therefore, it is only through the gentle wooing and work of the Holy Spirit that the things of God are revealed. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that we can only be born again when the Spirit of God reveals Jesus, the Son of God. Pastor David also challenges us to examine our hearts to make sure our knowledge of God's Son is not just a shallow intellectual assent, but an all-consuming passion that directs our entire lives. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Who is Jesus? In trying to honor him, he missed it totally, the point of who Jesus actually is. And when Jesus asked his disciples the question, Matthew shared with us, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? The response that the disciples gave as far as what the crowds, what the people said, it's not much different than what we hear today. They used names that they were familiar with at that time. They said, well, some think that you're John the Baptist. Some think that you're that that fiery prophet uh, who just got his head taken off by Herod. Others thought that maybe he was Elijah, that uh, remember Elijah, after all, he was, he was literally raptured off the earth through a whirlwind, so maybe it was Elijah come back again. Matthew tells us that some thought he might even be Jeremiah, and you know, Jeremiah, he was the one that had this great compassion for the people and for the nation of Israel, and others just thought, well, maybe he's just one of the, one of the prophets that have come back again. I guess they believed in reincarnation or whatever it was. You, you, you wonder where, where that kind of a mindset comes. Because when man tries to fill in the blanks, so often we come up with the stupidest of answers, the most foolish of answers. The people ventured a guess as to who Jesus was, and they were wrong. And when you miss who Jesus is, there's no close enough answer. You understand that, don't you? You understand he does not grade on a curve. Well, that's about 60% right. That's a a D, but I guess you still passed the class. No, this is a pass-fail thing. You either get it right, or for eternity, you have it wrong. 
And it's that plain. It's that straightforward. It is that simple. Jesus asked his disciples then, he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter responded, and we love Peter because he's the guy that will step right out in front. And Peter's the kind of guy you want to have in front of you. He can, he can step out in front, and if he's wrong, he gets the blast, right? Yeah. So, so Peter steps up, and he says, you are the Christ of God in Luke's version. And Matthew, he comes a little bit fuller with, with the answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That word Christ is actually a, a transliteration of a Greek word, Christos. It means the anointed one. In Hebrew, the, the word that we speak of, uh, Messiah, it's a Hebrew word, Mashiach. It's transliteration also, Messiah. It means the same thing, the anointed one. This is the messianic title that the Jews understood of, again, the promised one that would come from God to declare that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God or the Messiah of God, is to declare that he was the true deliverer for all of Israel. And to make that statement is to agree that this one who stood before them was the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. There's no doubt when we see this and when we understand, when we've looked through the Gospels thus far and yet to go in the study of the Gospel of Luke, there's no doubt that the disciples had seen Jesus, uh, his power, his, his presence was much more than just an ordinary rabbi, much more. There was a power, there was authority that, that filled his very presence, that filled the person of Jesus that couldn't be explained other than the fact that he was the Christ of God. And however, the thing that we also understand is that the disciples were not much different than other people. They even, even though they had such close contact with Jesus, such, such, they'd been there with so many things that he had done, so many times that he had touched, he had healed, he had delivered, raised people from the dead, and yet they still did not quite get it completely. They still didn't quite fire on all eight cylinders at that point in time. Like so many of the others, they were still looking for a, a reigning and ruling Messiah. They, they wanted somebody to come in and, and break the, the bondage of Rome from, from the Jews and that the Jews could rise up again and become that great, mighty, powerful nation that all of them remembered the times of King David. The times of Solomon, where there was peace and Israel was such a big and a powerful nation at that point. And for Peter to declare what he declared, you understand he had to reach a lot deeper than just his present understanding. He had to reach a lot deeper than just his limited logic and mental capability. Even with all of the miracles, even with the teachings of the kingdom of God, even with the compassion for the people, Peter had to know within his logic or be questioning within his logic, well, what about that reigning, ruling part? I see all this compassion. I see all this serving of the people, but where is that reigning and ruling part? What about that part where the Messiah actually comes, he breaks off all the oppression, he brings in that peace throughout all of the land? You see, for Peter, it wasn't just human logic that brought that answer to him. And Jesus understood that, and in Matthew, Jesus responds to Peter in a very powerful way. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> in essence, what Jesus was telling people or telling Peter was simply, hey, good job, Simon, son of Jonah. But you need to understand, it was not your human logic that revealed that to you. This revelation comes from my Father, which is in heaven. This is true spiritual understanding and insight. It's not something that you can gain from human wisdom. And you know what that means for you and I? For you and I as we sit here today, it means that no man can truly understand and come to a full realization of who Jesus Christ is unless the Father reveals him to them. And it's only when the Father reveals that we come to that understanding. All the wisdom of the apologist, uh, and, and, and a Christian apologist, he's not making apologies for Christianity. You understand that. He is, he is, he is a debater about, again, the, the scope and the reality and the truth of Christianity. All, all, all the wisdom and all the debates of the apologist or the debater, uh, they can never win a man to Christ. The wisdom of man does not win man to Christ. As important as those things are, and I'm glad that we have Christian apologists that can speak the reality and the truth of who we are as believers, what the Word of God declares, and who Christ is. I'm glad that we have those individuals that do that. But the important thing is, that's not what's going to win a man to Christ. Salvation is a work of the Spirit and not of the intellect. Now, that doesn't mean we check our brains as we come in the door. Please understand that. But all the intellect of man does not change a man's heart. That's one of the great faulties we have in our culture right now. We keep looking at the, the evil and the sinfulness, and we say, well, we just need to educate them better. We just need to give them more understanding, give them more teaching and, and training. And then all we have then is just more intelligent sinners. It does not change the heart of man. Education doesn't change the heart of man. As good as it is, and I'm pro-education, but that's not what changes the heart of man. What changes the heart of man is the work and move of the Holy Spirit of God within that individual's life. You can argue with that all you want, but the full fact of the matter is Jesus declared that very same thing in John chapter 6. He says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's a work of God the Father through God the Holy Spirit to draw us to God the Son. Coming to a true saving knowledge of Christ is much, much more than just a mental consent to that truth of who he is. It's much more than just a, a comprehension of the facts. Beloved, it's a supernatural revelation that has to take place within our lives from the Holy Spirit. It's an awakening of our hearts to recognize not only the greatness of our need for a Savior, but also the fullness of the provision that's ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We put a lot of emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God here at Calvary. We do that because we feel as that it's through the teaching and the preaching of God's Word that the saints of God are equipped. But it's also, it is the way that God, by way of the Holy Spirit, uses literally the foolishness of preaching to reveal Christ. 
The Apostle Paul brings this to us pretty clearly. Uh, you can leave Matthew, go to your right to 1 Corinthians if you would. 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the beginning there, Paul helps us to understand these things about the foolishness of preaching. Beginning down in verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul himself says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I I will destroy, what? The wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, he asked? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater or the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Good job, Peter. You came up with the right answer. But it's not your human logic that did it, Peter. It was the power of God working within you. It's God who reveals and draws men to himself. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians. He says in verse 25, he speaks of that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So if if you can even comprehend, and, and I don't believe that there is any such thing as the foolishness of God or the weakness of God because he's perfect in every way. But if, if, if there even was, the greatest thing of man can't even begin to touch, can't even begin to even, even glimpse any side of God in their own man in his own wisdom. He says, you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are in order that no flesh would glory in his presence. Look around the room this morning. Take a moment, look around the room, if you would. Just look at those that are seated here, and you'll notice that, again, uh, uh, there's not many wise, according to the flesh. There's not many mighty, and there's not many noble. But God has chosen, yeah, the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, to put shame the things that are mighty, the base things of the world. The things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are, in order that no flesh could glory in his presence. I I cannot come to you. None of you could come today. There's no one that could come and say, out of my intellect, out of my studying, out of uh, understanding the fullness of all the original languages, because I read the Bible, you know, 28,000 times in my life, I have come to an understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, you could come to that point. But it's not through all of that study and through all of that intellect that it changes from the head down to the heart. Because you see, the intellect of man doesn't change man. It's a heart change, and that's only done by the power of God that draws men to himself. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Let me ask you another question. Is it just head knowledge? 
Is it just an intellectual consent to it, a mental understanding? Do you only agree with it and yet it's not really changed your life in any kind of a substantial way? Because you see, when you and I are called as believers, we say that we are born again by the power of Christ. That means that it's changed our life. That means that our our lives have had a dynamic impact within our lives. You may have been young. You may have been a a six-year-old, a seven-year-old when you first came to faith in Christ, but there's got to be within you, if you are born again, there has got to be that work of the Spirit of God working and moving within your life. It can't be that you just decided, you know what, I'm tired of living my old life. I'm going to become a Christian. And so you start visiting the church more often, and you start reading your Bible more often. Therefore, you are a Christian. No. That's not how it works. I mean, if you're in that place today, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're under the teaching of the Word. But just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a clown, you know. Uh, Coming to church isn't it. It's a born-again experience. There's a lot of intelligent, church-going people in the world today. They believe this book. They can sit through a one-hour Bible study just like Dylan Roth did. And yet they leave with their lives not changed a single bit. Nicodemus was a really religious guy. He was one of the Pharisees. And he seemed to kind of have his head on his shoulders because he understood that there was something really special about Jesus he came to Jesus, but he came at night. He came under the cloak of darkness. He said, Rabbi, we, we, we know that you're a teacher that's sent from God. It's interesting. Jesus didn't applaud him on that. Hey, man, great, you understood. You came to an intellectual understanding of who I am. Good job, Nick. No, what did he say? Nick, you can agree with who I am all day long. But unless you are born again, you will never see, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There may be some who know this book backwards and forwards. They might even be able to quote scripture passages. They might even teach the book. But if their belief is only an intellectual agreement, if they're not truly born again by the Holy Spirit of God, then they're no better off than the demons who believe, and yet even the demons have enough sense to tremble at what they know. Back in Luke 9, I know I'm causing you to jump around a lot, but please stay with me. Back in Luke 9, Jesus tells his disciples, he warns them, at least for this present time, He says to keep quiet about who he truly is. And I believe he said that because he wanted those who gained the understanding of who he was, he wanted them to gain that through the Spirit of God, not simply through human wisdom. Again, they could have come up and they said, look, look at the miracle that he did. Look at uh, the, 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 the food that he served everyone. Look at this blind man who now has his sight. Look at this dead man who's now alive again. He has to be the Messiah. Wow, you're right. I understand now. I believe that. But if it doesn't change their heart, intellectual belief we carry with us right to hell outside of a changed heart. 
says that Jesus strictly warned them. He commanded them to tell this to no one, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus understood that his mission was to go to the cross, not be raised up as a king. Again, there's no doubt, they, they, these disciples, they could have raised up the multitudes. Come on, man, this is the Messiah. We need to stand with him. We need to fight with him. Remember, there was even a couple of the, the disciples who were zealots. And you know what a zealot is, don't you? He's, he's a guy, man, he'd just soon pull a, a sword and whack off the head of a, a Roman soldier as to share the four spiritual laws with him. And he'd just soon kill him as anything else. And that was some of the disciples. And Jesus says, no, no, you need to understand, I... I have to suffer through these things. I will be rejected. I will be killed. But you know what? I will be raised the third day. But they didn't quite get it. it again, it keeps going over their heads. He will suffer. He will be rejected. But he will raise again the third day. And no human intervention was going to keep that from happening. Jesus wouldn't allow it. To truly know him, to truly be surrendered to him, means that you and I have to be fully surrendered to his will and not our own. Just as he was fully surrendered to the Father's will and not his own. Knowing all that he was going to go through, yet still he said, no guys, don't, don't raise up an army. Don't raise up a bunch of people. I have to suffer. I will be killed, but I will raise up the third day. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Has it moved the 18 inches or so from here down to here? Are you here this morning with an intellectual understanding? Or are you here today because there is a heart's passion for the things of God? Let me make it more clear to you. If there's not a heart's passion for the things of God, you've got a blockage somewhere. You've got a blockage in thinking that where you're at intellectually will open up the very gates of heaven. But I'm going to tell you this morning that there's not a passion for the things of God in your life. You're only here with intellectual understanding. You're not here with a changed heart. That only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit of God within our lives. You may be here this morning. You might be in, in, in church for years and years, decades. But you really don't have a passion for the things of Christ. Oh, you love the church. You love the people. You, you love coming together. You love the fellowship. But beloved, go join the Rotary Club because you'll be more in the truth of what you know than sitting here week after week after week after week and thinking that in my intellect, everything is fine. There's good people at the Rotary Club. They do a lot of good stuff. There's great relationships there, but it's not the Rotary Club that gets you to heaven. But I want to tell you this too. It's not the church that gets you to heaven either. It's your personal commitment and a changed life through the power of God in your life that opens up heaven.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.